Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you this day, Lord. We come before you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you. There's a Savior, and you are that Savior. So we just commit our time to you, God. Again, we ask that you would pour your spirit out upon us. You would give us revelation, God, and understanding of your word, what is happening on earth these days, so that we might be better equipped, better sold out, better in love with you, Lord. Thank you for the transformation work that occurs when the saints gather together in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Open your word to us. So there's a lot of new people um, online, and there's people here today, and welcome, of course. Um, typically, the way the notes work, there's red stuff on the top, and I, it's, I sort of copy it from week to week. Bolding and underlining is because they're talk, teaching notes, so it's not necessarily even more important. It's just something I'm afraid I'm going to miss. So it's, it's actually screaming at me. Forgive typos. A teeny type is there because I am very convicted and convinced that God wants not things not taken out of context. And, and so if there's scripture, if I like, let's say use a verse one and then verse seven, oftentimes I'll leave the other verses in there so you could read it at your own. But typically when it's like eight point or less, we're not going to be reading it. But just so you have notes in the future, I leave them in. And um, anyway, it's, I fear God too much to mess with the word of the Lord. I just, that's just the way I am, and he's blessed me for that. And also, again, if you're on our mailing list, because um, you're on the call, you are, um, make sure easy3728 at gmail is on your allow list, because we have, we have over 12,000 downloads, we, have, we send out a lot of emailings every Saturday. There's a lot of people just are thousands of miles away, so they can't get here. But because of that, the email gets identified as spam. And so a lot of times they get stuck in your, in your spam box, and it's, it's so painful. And, no, anyway, that way you'll be sure to get it. And then reach out to me. If, you're, you know, if you don't get them and you want them, just reach out to me. Pop me an email at that address. So we gathered together 12 9, so it's been actually more, it's been more than a month. And um, sorry. Hi, how are you? Hi, hi, hi. So um, I, I've spoken and taught on a lot of the things that we'll be dealing with today. And it's just, you know, a lot's happening on earth, which is why God has piqued our interest and, you know, raised our antenna. He's lifted us up to this place of saying, okay, Lord, I'm pressing in. And there are things happening that are causing us to press in because of God's zeal. It's very much him. It's not, and it's not necessarily a corrective thing. Like if you're feeling you know, pulled into a deeper place. Don't let the devil condemn you saying you weren't walking where you're supposed to be walking. We're on a continual path of growth. So, and I always say this, if you have a, uh, a personal trainer and you're bench pressing 150 pounds and he loves you and sees your potential, he'll put more, more weight on the bar. So the fact that we're getting pulled in is a good thing and has no, does not reflect on you not having done enough yesterday or last year or six months ago. So um, what's happening really is that the message of God is getting louder and people are starting to realize there's a shaking work going on and it's not just coincidences. It's not just, oh, the weather, oh, the economy, oh, the war in the Middle East, oh, you know, you know woke community, or any of that. It's, they're not just coincidences. It's all actually in Scripture. 
And I've said to people, I don't want to become um, galvanized or insensitive to issues going on in people's lives, but I'm not surprised at what's happening, only because God, had, God said it, and we're going to be addressing that much this morning. In fact, we're going to be taking a very anointed bunny trail towards the end of the um, session this morning, and it'll take us into next week. And it has to do with Holy Spirit and filling. And, you know, most people who minister, you know, unless you have something that's just rote, R-O-T-E, you know, and you just teach it the same every time. I'm on my journey, and I'm seeing where God's pulling me in these days. And I've taught Daniel several times. I'm not an expert on the book, but I'm learning. And every time I teach it, I, there's new things and there's modifications and tweaks. But I'm also starting to, some of the things that I taught with assurance, I'm not teaching anymore with assurance because if you're a blank canvas and someone explains what the 70 weeks means or explains what something else means and you have no grid, you're just innocently listening and someone tells you something, well, look, that aligns and here's Titus and, and this guy's Nebuchadnezzar and this is that and that and it all fits together and you can connect the dots. You think, oh, thank God I found a legit explanation until maybe you reach someone else. And so there's a lot of things that I am learning even now in my old age and teaching for over 30 years, not, well, 40 years now, is that um, there's a lot of opinion expressed that has logical conclusion, but it's not necessarily truth. And the teacher is accountable to teach what they know. So if you were to say, I'm gonna wait till I'm 95 years old and feel I have it, it you, you missed the whole point of why God called you to teach. So we sort of are on this progressive journey together and we, we have to extend a lot of grace there. But meanwhile, things are happening right now. And I can't stress this enough as far as the whole Israel story. Israel needs to get saved. The bottom line on Israel is they need to get saved. I have Jewish family. I'm Jewish. I have Jewish family. I have lots and lots of Jewish friends. I was on the phone yesterday an extended period of time with a, an old Jewish man who I love dearly. We've been friends for 40 some odd years. Um, there's, God is dealing very heavily with the Jewish people as part of the conclusion of this age plan that is expressed in scripture and it's important for the church to recognize that which is primarily gentile at, at this time because that is a missing component of the full house of god upcoming and so you know even the things like oh what do i know i don't know their religion and they know more than me and uh, who am i and what are they going to think I, I met a woman last week who is um part japanese part puerto rican had a insane encounter with God after being angry with him for decades and she's now eight years fluent in in Hebrew and ministering to some very very wealthy Jewish uh, corporation owners um, in another part of the country right now and you know she might have thought well who am I to speak to them and they see her as the perfect person to speak to them so wherever God might put you just it's it all has to do with being led by the Holy Spirit it all comes down to that so, you know, these troubles, these troubles that are going, the, there's an intent. It's, one is, is to shake up the world in general, because God is not willing that any perish. And you know my feelings on the achad of God, the whole completeness of God. And every doctrine that is bona fide accurate has to embrace the entire Bible, which is why you want to plow into it, you want to be full of the word. Because again, I could build, you could build a case for every false doctrine that's in church, reading the Bible. You could 
point to here and point to there and point to there. But if it doesn't, like when you go to a thing like predestination, you don't know what to do with not willing that any perish. Because that is based on the fact that if God, basically it's a, it's a, a predestined lottery and it, it doesn't fit the whole script. So this is why we, for your own safety and for the effectiveness of your own ministry um, and for your own peace of mind, you really just want to devour the word of God. And the perfect example I always say is Smith Wigglesworth, who was an illiterate plumber when he got saved. His wife taught him how to read. And he was never really a Bible scholar or a theologian, but he rose the dead. So that, you know, you get some credit for that. But one thing he used to say was, consume the word of God until it consumes you. And when you start seeing that as your daily diet and your appetite, your whole mindset shifts. So the past month, things have only become more intense. Obviously, in the Middle East, uh, this morning there was an article on Turkey as an ally that conducting airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. There's threats going back and forth with uh, the Houthis in, in Yemen. There's, there's things bubbling up. There, there are things percolating. And Jesus pointed to those things in Matthew and Luke and said, those are the beginning. Those are the beginning. So he, and he says, don't be troubled or do not allow your heart to be troubled. It says you have some control over your heart. Because there's news that we will get every day that literally can take us down. And you don't blow those things off. We're here actually for the purpose of weeping where it's time to weep and rejoicing where it's time to rejoice. But, but it's up to you on, you know, say to your soul. You make the determination of where you are with the Lord and what you're pressing into. So, you know, interestingly, um, sometimes I'll start doing a Google search on something and some of, uh, oh, I have Word here, Word War Three. It's World War Three. People are online or typing <coughs> news article searches, World War Three, because they're feeling it. There's actually, there's so much conflict happening on earth right now that it's tantamount to the beginning of a world war. And quite frankly, we are in that. And I said in the preface, preface of the 12 nine notes, Daniel nine is the deep though short second half of that chapter. It's only a few verses. We actually got all the way up to Daniel, most of Daniel nine, uh, you know, last time we met. And of course, on the podcast, and I can send you notes if you don't have them, but you could go back and listen to all of Daniel. There's 190 some odd podcasts, but they're not old Daniel, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you could go back and catch up if you want, but I am gonna touch on a couple of things this morning. So we'll be in that section, the four or five last verses, which is called the 70 week prophecy, because that takes us all the way to the establishment of the government of, of Christ on earth. And it's particularly vague with massive variances of opinion throughout amongst very, very godly, forget the ungodly nutcases, just the godly nutcases, <laughs> the, the praying godly studious nutcases still have varying opinions in those verses. And, and I speak to some of them, I've actually become friends with some of them online and by phone and, and I'm, I'm listening to some of the things that bring out their religious instruction and their religious foundation and their family growing up and some of them are stuck in some things that they have been taught and a lot of it has to do literally with us letting go and letting the Spirit of God teach us in these days which is why we're going to be spending so much time speaking about the Holy Spirit this morning. There's a, um, David Pawson who went home to be with Jesus I think last year or two years ago he referred to, um, he referred to the book of Daniel as the prophetic swamp that you could get stuck here and never get out. 
you're just wallowing in it. And, you know, a lot of it's really cool stuff and good stuff. And really, almost everything we've said, the, the toughest part right here is the 70 week prophecy. I think we've covered it pretty clearly over the weeks about the different viewpoints in the revelation of Daniel 7, of Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream, of the, the you know, what was happening of one empire taking over another empire, taking over another empire. And so those things actually are reasonably, we've covered them well, not just me, but the scriptures cover them well. And we're watching Daniel, the man of God, Daniel, we're watching him grow because at the beginning he was, um, he was, he was interpreting other people's dreams, then he was receiving his own, and he was watching angelic beings have a dialogue in front of him because he didn't know questions to ask. So it was sort of cool. God sort of like set him in a room. It was like fly on the wall in this supernatural place. He didn't even know to ask when, and some of the whens God wants us to know, and there's other whens. We'll find out when they happen. So there are specifics, I have them in some other notes that I didn't put in here, where you'll hear something in scripture, you'll go, you know, on the 12th day of the sixth month at 4 p.m. basically, so-and-so stepped into so-and-so, and then there's other places that will say, uh, in the latter days you'll understand this. And you're thinking, the other one I really don't care about the day and the week and the month and the calendar in the book of Haggai. It's actually given to us for another reason, but the things, the things I want to know is now, we're living in 2024, and I'd really appreciate if I could know when this is going to happen, or when are we going to know the Antichrist, whose who's, who's name in Hebrew equals 666, people were selling books, World War II, on uh, Mussolini, his, I get apparently his name in Hebrew, the way they, you know, spun the spinner, the game spinner, it turned out to be 666, people were making money preaching on that. And then along, then, you know, along comes his execution. And that guy stood before a pulpit one day and said, all I know is Jesus loves me. <laughs> so we want to be careful on the things that we don't know. And there's nothing wrong with speculating, but please, if you're speaking to someone, present it as a speculation. So I believe that um, some of the insights into the mystery of mysteries, okay, I, I believe I have some of them, but I also, the more I study, the more I realize how little I know, which is very humbling. It really is. You just, you know, and again, it's not like you, your, your sharp sword became dull, like I knew it five years ago when I taught it, and now I don't. It's just I actually I know enough to know that might be the case, what I taught might not. So, so the book of Daniel, okay, it's taken us into a seven-year Babylon, a seven, boy, I have a lot of typos here. <laughs> Are you <laughs> taking, you're supposed to be taking notes here. I missed a couple yeah, already. This is a 70-year Babylonian captivity. It was not a seven-year Babylonian captivity. So, Robin, you're... I got it. You got it. There's several already. You know that. Okay, good. In case you guys will get all new notes at the, to, to later today. As a result of Israel's failure to recognize God's prioritizing of covenant and wanting to do it their way. It's been the story, sadly, of... Um, it's been the story of the whole Bible. Is that the people of God have chosen to do it their way. Okay, this is so funny. How many, look at all these notes here that I grabbed from prior notes. I have a reference to Daniel NASV chapter and I don't have it. Oh Lord, help me here. If, th if this is a, uh, if this is showing us what's happening today, we're all just gonna go for breakfast. <laughs> okay, let's put a cross out there. That's good for me. Okay, there you go. And we've been introduced to the man, Daniel, who's a perfect example of a human being 
going through life from teenage years. He's presented as a, as a Na'ar pretty much, um, a, a young teenager um, taken into Babylon, probably castrated in uh, answering to really demonic emperors most of his life and continuing to press into God even into his 80s and maybe even 90s. And he never came back to Israel. He stayed there, actually. So he's an amazing, amazing man. And his life, his progression of learning should very much encourage you that God is wanting to speak to you your whole life. Sometimes, you know, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. You started late, or you know, or you already know more than you need, or whatever, or you spun out and you can't recover. Daniel looks like he never spun out. He's really an amazing example of a of a godly man. And the reward of his godliness and his sincere, humble pressing in has been revelations given him that were reserved for him. And we're actually the ones who are, are you know, benefiting from that. So we've been introducing, he is amazing, this man. He actually is an amazing man. And we've told more than once, starting with King Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream and then revisited, substantiated by several other dreams and visions, a sequence of world empires. We had the Babylonians, we had the Mede Persians, we had all these things happen. We had, it went all the way down to Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. He dies young, he dies at the same age that Jesus died. Here is this wicked, cruel man, and he dies at 33 years, and he had no kids, and he, some people think he might have even died of venereal disease. He was a wild one, and he was heartbroken because he said at the end of his life there was nothing more to conquer, but he was Alexander the Great, and his kingdom split into four empires, and out of that empire, we could literally trace the rise of Antichrist out of the Seleucid Empire, one of the four empires. So it sort of gives us a general place where he's coming from. It sort of defeats the, uh, quite frankly, the uh, inaccurate doctrine that it's going to be a revived Roman Empire at the, at the end of the age, that it's, the Antichrist is going to come out of that. We've addressed that. I have notes, and you can, look at pod, you can listen to podcasts about uh, Gog and Ezekiel and the end of the age, where we covered that in great depth over a period of months. So, you know, you can say, well, what do I need that for? Because... You know, I got other issues in my life. The reality is most of the issues in your life actually take priority over us knowing those things, but they are good to know because when you start seeing the hand of God in the history of the world, it brings peace on you when you realize what's going on in your life and you think, does he even know? Is he even aware? I, I always remind God that you made an axe head. One of the prophets made an axe head float. This guy said, oh, you know, uh, was Elisha, I think. He said, oh, oh, Elisha, the, I, this is a, I borrowed this axe from a friend and it dropped in the water and Elisha made the axe head float. I remind God of that when I'm spending 20 minutes looking for my keys. <laughs> so, it, I mean, I, the thing is he's trying to get, a he's trying to establish with you a 24-7 relationship. And we have a tendency to go in and out of dialoguing with them because, you know, we have to measure before we cut. We have to negotiate a contract. You have to, you know, cut, you know do something. And, and it doesn't mean you're like totally up there in the ethos with them like that. But he wants this established relationship. That's a Holy Spirit life. Those are when the coordinated incidences become more frequent in your life. When you're trying to look at things and you're saying, God, what are we doing here right now? Even, even an offense, even a car accident, even something that not only you didn't plan, but it's painful. And you think, God, 
I've, I'm dedicating my life to you. I, I started today dedicating it to you. I've been dedicating it to you. You know I'm knucklehead, but you're with me. You said you'd never forsake me, and you warned me not to forsake you, and I'm doing my best, and I'm good to go. And that's when, having done all, you'll stand. Because in these days, there's so many concerns that we have of, will I stand? What if I'm called to be this? What if God puts me in this situation? And it's overwhelming, and it'll, it can paralyze a lot of people. It can paralyze teachers and prophets and prayer warriors to the point where they don't want to minister or they don't want to address truth because it's sometimes it's not easy to hear truth. So for the sake of some new folks, uh, Daniel 8 took us to this place, and this is from the uh, New American Standard, uh, the little horn, and he says here in Daniel 8 verse 9, out of one of them, out of the horns that Daniel was seeing on this hideous Beast. They were all weird looking, but one was more hideous than the other three. Out of, and it's a great read because the that read of Daniel eight, there's actually an angelic interpretation. Mm -hmm. So there's a guide, a, there's a tour guide to the. When you first read it, you think what, 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 and then the second part is he's basically saying to Daniel, this means that, and this means that. It's a it's a primer for us. But he says, out of one of them, out of one of the horns, came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It's talking about a resistance, a true spiritual battle going on between this really demonically inspired little horn and, and heavenly purpose. And it had an attitude of pride, which will kill anything, including us, just point to note. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. So he's talking literally about the Antichrist here at the conclusion of the age, but it was partially fulfilled in, an old tent, in the Old Testament um, and also in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. And I want to say this again just as a general point of knowledge for you. Jesus said, everything that hasn't happened will happen. Just because you don't know historically it hasn't happened doesn't mean it hasn't. There are situations and battles and other things as you press in, you will learn that, oh, that might have checked that box. But one of the things that the scriptures never tell us, they're silent, is that just because something has happened, unless we're told specifically God will not do it again, it stands open to happen again. Like a lot of people say, well, Antiochus Epiphanes was an antichrist and he slaughtered pigs on the altar in Israel. And therefore, well, first of all, the timing's way off because Jesus is talking about an antichrist in the New Testament and Antiochus Epiphanes was during the intertestamental period. So he, Jesus was not prophesying something that had happened hundreds of years earlier. So just because now when God flooded the world in judgment with a global flood. He said, I'm going to give you the rainbow as a covenant that I will never again destroy the whole world with a flood. He didn't say I won't destroy a city, a state, or even a country with a global flood, and he has. But he says I, the, the conclusion of this age and the final judgment will not be a flood. In fact, the scriptures make it clear it will be with fire. So this is just point to note for us. And so he goes on, account of transgression, we said that. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, how long, and here's Daniel listening, thinking, oh, that's a really good question. I never thought of that. <laughs> this, is a good, this is a good ask. How long 
Will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply, and while the transgression causes horror, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? That has to do with the persecution of saints, and it has to do with the desecration of holy places on earth, particularly the temple in Jerusalem, and there's no temple there now. So this implies there will be a temple at the conclusion of the age. And he says, he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. And you know I'm friends with this guy, Dan Bruce, who I believe actually broke the code on this, and I'm not going to get into it again. But he actually literally counted Passovers from a battle of Granicus, which had to do with Alexander the Great, all the way up to the half-track pulling it to Jerusalem. And it's startlingly accurate. There's other things that I humbly believe Dan has very wrong, and we have a very interesting dialogue going on. And I, he has ministered to me through his writings, and I've ministered to him. And and he was raised in a, a an environment that was that a, a biblical environment, a church environment, loving God, but it was very much flatlined in the place of the supernatural. Robin and I got saved in a fiery supernatural revival. We've seen crazy stuff. I mean, I've Personally, a little more than her, I think, because some of have been when she wasn't around. But we've experienced some crazy stuff in our life, but we were born into that. And so I'm just saying that none of us is the plumb line for normal. George Carlin, that great theologian, said that everybody who drives slower than you is a jerk, and everybody who drives faster than you is a maniac. So we always think if you pray 20 minutes a day and someone prays two hours, they're, you know, they're overzealous. And, but if you pray 20 minutes a day and someone play, prays five minutes a day, they're backslid. So that's why we're not supposed to be judging each other. This is for you to work out with the Lord. You're not justified by my lifestyle nor me by yours, and, that's, and we're all accountable to him. This is why you want a personal relationship. So we have to lighten up on each other. We have to do that. It's very, very critical. So chapter 8 continues to reveal a prophecy that extends to the time at the end of the age, and he says here in verse 23, in the latter time of their kingdom. So we're going to go on and read that. We're skipping over this. We covered eight in detail two weeks ago. And he talks about the word in the latter time of their kingdom. And the word is acharit, which it's the, the word means posterity, hindermost, the, the, the very furthest end. And so there are things that were being prophesied that clearly point to the days in which we're living right now. And so we're going to read that in 8. And I know this is sort of sliced and diced, chapter 8, but I just want to build a little bit of a, a you know, platform for us. In the latter days of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, this is very much like the world before the flood. The, men, the, the men's, thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually. <clears throat> We haven't gotten here yet. As much as we're seeing evil accelerate by the day, like you know, you read news articles from either a local heinous, perverted, wicked crime to what's happening on October seventh. It's un the more if you dig into that, it's unbelievable what was done to people. Some people, <clears throat> someone said, <clears throat> we had people here last night, and they said there were things done that were not done during the Holocaust. October 7th, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's absolutely, it is, the level of wickedness that is growing is part of the outpouring that to be anticipated in those days because the transgression has not reached its fullness yet. 
and we're not going to pray it down. We're not going to pray it down. Isaiah 14 talks about a destruction over the earth, and God basically says, who will annul it? And I believe that's a challenge even to teachers and preachers who ignore these things, thinking, oh, if we just talk about the goodness of God, it'll all go away. It's not going to go away. It will get our attention. The purpose of what God is allowing and stirring, even in some of those prophetic, I think it's either seven, chapter seven, six, seven or eight in Daniel, it starts off with angels stirring the waters and beasts coming up. And you'd almost think, God, why don't you leave well enough alone? Isn't man wicked enough without you activating things? But there's a bigger plan than that. And we have to rest in that, that he's sovereign. If you get horrific news, you get troubling news, or something has happened, you know, it's not because where is God? The Jewish people, we, I've told you this story, we were friend, uh, friends of ours uh, uh, sculpted this fountain of tears in Israel, and now there's one outside of Auschwitz ministering to the Jewish people. And one of the screaming cries of the Jewish people it, since the Holocaust has been, where was he? Where was he? Where's, where was God? And in many ways, God, I, we have a, without getting into it this morning, we know a supernatural story of God ministering to a very secular woman who's head of uh, biblical historical studies in Israel who broke down and literally had a, a, a spiritual theophany, if you will, and, and a meltdown in front of someone prophesying to her and saying, I, 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 distance myself from you for a short period. You've distanced yourself from me for thousands of years. Where are you? So God's dealing with everybody because of the rejection. They've rejected. And even before, I mean, they've been rejecting him for thousands of years before. And then the Messiah comes in part uh, fulfilling the 70-week prophecy we're going to be looking at. And most of the Jewish people said, let his blood be on our hands. And it's been on their hands. And I say this to my relatives. And I say it to Jewish people, and I say it as a Jew who lost almost all my family in the camps during the war. And God is, not, his righteousness is not our righteousness. And we're going to see that when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. It's mind-boggling, actually, so what some of the scriptures say. The scriptures basically, Jesus says, he says, when the Holy Spirit's come, he's going to prove the world wrong regarding righteousness. That we have this formula for what God is supposed to look like and how he's supposed to work and how we're supposed to walk with him and it's not appropriate which is why we're not seeing the dead raised it's why we're not seeing the healings when when Peter stood outside of the upper room after everybody's praying in tongues and there's fire and all sorts of wild stuff happening and shadow healings after that and he's saying this is what was spoken about by Joel we've had 2,000 years of a weak church not demonstrating a, a gospel of power and we could blame them, but we could blame us. And now, in this season, God is leaning on the saints who are saying yes, saying, I want, I want to fulfill the work that I've intended for the church because I have an end times army of praying, worshiping, spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-obedient people, and with them and through them and for them, I'm going to be moving. And there are things in my word, I'm, this is almost a punchline to the morning, I'm not going to reveal until they occur because I don't want to give you a spreadsheet. I don't want to give you a triptych, an old AAA map where they would find out where you are and where you want to go and what you want to see along the way. And they draw a blue line with a fat marker. They hand it to you and you leave that office prepared. He says, I'm not doing that. I'm doing it because I want a relationship with you every single day. 
So lots of things are going to happen that we don't know. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, this evil one. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. It's talking about martyrdom here. There are saints being martyred every day now. There's more martyrs on earth right now than there's ever been in the history of the world. Right now. And, you know, we sort of have this Western end-of-the-age plan, and a lot of people, when they read these scriptures, they think, oh, yeah, I get that. What's happening here? The saints getting crucified now. The saints getting burnt alive right now. These things are happening right now. And he doesn't love us anymore because he put us here. But he put us here for a purpose. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. Can you imagine that? Lies. Hmm. Fake news began in the garden, and it's just going to get worse. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. It will culminate literally in, you know, a... Uh, if you will, a gunfight. We know who wins. That's clear. It's, it's our Savior. But it's, it's going to come down to that. And then he says, And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which is, was told is true, therefore seal up the vision for first to many days in the future. So he's saying, I'm telling you this about 16, 1700 years ago, but it refers to these days. And there's also some other time clock stories that we've been through here on seven days and 7,000 years and if the millennium is the Shabbat of the week, the seventh day of the week, because the Jewish week starts on, on Sunday actually, if that's the seventh then we have 6,000. If you go to the Jewish calendar, we're at 5,800 and change and any legit rabbi could tell you that they could be off by 200 years. So whatever is happening, we have a tick, tick, tick happening over all your issues, over all of our deadlines, over the, the length of days that God has allotted to mankind, all these things happening, we have a bigger tick, tick, tick of the clock of God that's moving right now. And some of the anointings that God has for the church is the Issachar anointing. So your body clock, your spiritual clock, your agenda of life will be time to his and when, you're, when you start pressing into the place of prayer in the Holy Spirit, you will find more coordinated incidences in your life. I personally, in humility, can testify. I've been in some crazy places at just the right. I was in New York 9-11 when the towers came down. I saw them come down. I got to minister there. I'm just saying that just God coordinates the affairs of your life. He, he works things out. You're, you know, I've had airplane, and I'm just giving it as my testimony. I have an airplane ride sitting next to people that, that I never, I, on the way back from LA just now, no, from San Jose, I sat, sat next to a Hindu man who got to hear the gospel. It was amazing. You know, I've, I've, it's just, this is what God wants for us. I'm not, trust me, I miss all the time. It's, it's not all that anointed. I wish it was more. But I'm just saying that this is what God wants in our lives. And so sometimes the situations of our lives that look like an, an, a massive interruption is because God has a plan. And you made the mistake of saying your will be done. <laughs> so when you're saying your will be done, you're basically saying I'm tying my will on the altar so that I could accomplish your will and your purposes. Then we went on to Daniel 9, and I'd written in my notes, I had said, you know, that, uh, you know, tuck this away, tuck away what we just looked at, read 2,300 evenings and mornings, which Dan Bruce, after much research feels is being chronologically linked to the counting of Passovers, beginning at the Battle of Granicus, where Alexander the Great, the goat of the prior prophecies, and the dominant king of Greece defeated the larger army of the Persians, and concluding 1967. 
And it's amazing in talking to Dan Bruce, my friend, this brilliant man whom I love, he still is struggling seeing some of the supernatural events that are happening on earth right now. And he was warning me, he says, yes, but there's going to be supernatural signs and wonders that can deceive the elect. I said, Jesus said, if possible, mm -hmm. deceive the elect. And if you were a cashier and someone wanted you to identify counterfeit 20s, they'd give you a handful of real ones. Mm -hmm. So you could feel them, smell them, touch them, hold them up to the light. And because the church has sanitized prophecy and sanitized some of the, quote, you know, uh, intellectually offensive components of the full gospel of Christ out of the church, the church is going to get duped by the counterfeit. So, again, we have to minister in the fear of the Lord. You have a prophetic gift. I'm looking at you guys. You have a prophetic gifting in your lives. You're, man, the accountability that comes with that is woe. You're writing songs, whoa. You have a word for someone else at church, whoa. Sometimes when people say, turn around and give a word to the person next to them, I don't, sometimes I don't. If I don't have a word, I'm not going to fabricate something. You know, we're not tool and die makers for the kingdom of God. You know, we're not copywriters for Jesus. So, but we should be living in the spirit. Oftentimes God will give you something and speak it, but we have to be really careful. These are very, we are highly accountable to new levels, new devils. God's calling us up and he's calling us to a place of intimacy and accountability that really much of the church hasn't walked in and it's requiring that we spend more time with him. We got it. We better be hearing him. You know, we considered and read Daniel's startlingly accurate prayer in Daniel 9. Daniel's prayer, we actually, I read chunks of it last night with a delightful, glorious, godly couple who were over asking about the troubles. Literally asking about them. Is this, is this what God would do? And, and you know, I'm going to read a little bit of Daniel 9 here. So Daniel knew that the 70 years were up. So instead of like just packing his house, getting ready to go, he decides he's going to fast and pray and put on sackcloth and ashes as a seasoned saint and an honored prophet, a man who had spoken to kings. And he says, I'm going to press in deeper. That speaks to the old saints. There's no retirement in this story. There's no retirement. He goes, and I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here's this Henry Kissinger, if you will, and he's leaving his probably really nice place, and he's out, and he's, and, and he's fasting, and he's wearing sackcloth, which everybody knows what that means back then, especially, you think, this guy's one of those strange birds, but he's a humble man. He's humbling himself. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome, God, who keeps, and that word awesome means where we get the word awful from that word. It has to do with fear, dread, terrible. It's not awesome hot dog, awesome bike ride. It's awesome, like ah, awesome. Oh, great, okay, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. He's looking to establish and maintain a covenant with us of goodness and blessing and growth and prosperity and in his will and in his purposes, but he's keeping it in that good stead with those who keep his commandments. But when we enter covenant with God and we choose to not keep his, his commandments, things don't go well. And so much time has been spent correcting either the disobedient Jews or the disobedient church. The world, for the most part, has seen a testimony that I refer to as the woodshed anointing. And many of the nations around Israel, they saw their false demon gods, they didn't think they were demons, but whooping the Jewish people. 
That's why they dragged the ark into Dagon's temple way back when. They, and it was basically, I don't know, you have your God, but we got our God, and we just whipped your butt. We dragged you off to 70 years of captivity with fish hooks in your faces. If your God's so omnipotent, what are you doing here? Being my slave, sweeping my floors. But they've had a testimony of failure, and God told the Jewish people, you could read Deuteronomy 27 and 31, you look at the covenant, and he said, these things will follow you and overtake you <clears throat> if you believe, if you serve me, but these things will overtake you if you blow me off. And we're seeing stuff on earth right now. We're seeing a failed church. And I'm not condemning any <clears throat> denomination or, or leader or anything like that, but God is dealing heavily with all this. And meanwhile, he tells us to be in church. He says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the matter of some in the first century. He goes, and then he says so much to more as you see the day approaching. If anybody can see the day approaching, it's us. And some of the reasons why we're not in church, that's on you. That's on me. I mean, I can sit here all day and tell you what was wrong with every church we've ever been in. And that's, that's nothing to do with it. He says, love my bride. If you, you tell St. Peter, feed, feed my sheep. You love me, feed my sheep. And we go to, we cho we go to get fed and we go to feed. <clears throat> and when we comply with the fullness of the word, there's a fullness of a blessing. And so he says here, he goes on, he says, we have sinned and committed it. He's owning it along with his people. His life was like stellar. And he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled. And basically, here's how we did that. Even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants or prophets, who he's always had here, who spoke in your name to our kings. And next week, I'm going to speak a little bit on the prophetic now. There's a lot of cessation, not sensation, but cessation, meaning things were, were here in the first century, then they went away, and they go, oh, that which is perfect has come, meaning the word of God was codified. No, no, no. And we'll address that next week. But there's always been true prophets from the very beginning, and there's always been false prophets. And so when people get offended by the false prophet, but they don't have a depth of walk with God, and they're trying to protect their flock, they end up shutting down prophecy, and they're missing part of the point of us even being here. So it's on the prophet. Read Jeremiah. If you have any kind of prophetic anything in your life, read Jeremiah 23. Note to self, read Jeremiah 23. And it rips the prophets to slices and dices them. And just when you're reading and thinking, I'll get, take any ministry you want. I'll clean toilets. I'll preach. I'll teach. I'll drive a bus. I'll, 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 I'll write a book. I'll do anything. I just don't want to prophesy. At the end, he says, if you get something from me, you better say it. <laughs> so there's no, there's, the only safe place is in his will, because in his will is grace to do what he's called you to do. And nobody can really point you to that place. They can model intimacy. But the reality is it's on you. Your life is on you. That's why when you stand before God eventually, you will stand before him and you're not going to say, that pastor, that jerk, or this corrupt person who said this to me and or said it to my grandpa and spun three generations out and that's why I haven't served you. It's not going to hold any water. And, you know, I've said this often. But I, say it very, I said it in L.A. recently. I said as a... As a, as a Minister and a man of God, I apologize on behalf of all the things you've seen done wrong. Now get over it. 
Got to get over it. We just got to do it. And he goes, in verse 10, we've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants to prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice, meaning he speaks. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. I mean, he's owning it, which is what we're called to do. And he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem, meaning the land of Israel, but specifically Jerusalem. What's happening now is blowing the world's mind. I mean, there's been horrific slaughters, the Kurds, the Armenians, there's all sorts of groups over the course of time that have been slaughtered by other groups, but consistently over the history of the world and the aging of different societies, there's nothing been like the Jewish dilemma. But God called them early, and they blew it early, and they've continued to blow it. And the Gentiles have come in and blown it again. And it has to do with a convenience factor. It has to do with religiosity. It has to do with materialism. It has to do with worldliness. It has to do with lust. It has to do with pride. It has to do with whatever. And God's calling forth a level of people in this day, which is notable. And we always go back to, you know, Mordecai talking to Esther, saying, you know, such a time as this. This is one of those such a times. This is why people who were not spiritual dreamers are having spiritual dreams right now. This is why you're waking up and seeing three, 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 four, 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 two, two, two on your clock. This is why some of these things are happening. Not so we get spooky, goofy. God's speaking. He's speaking in weather patterns. You can read the book of Amos regarding how he dealt with Israel and kept accelerating and increasing the volume of his voice. And he says, you know, I let your crops fail. I did this. I brought locusts in. I brought armies in. I, I did, the, you know, everything. And, the, and finally he says to them, prepare to meet your God. So what we want to do as saints is we want to reduce our response time. When God starts dealing with you, you really want to learn to do that and embrace the divine interruptions of life. I think of some of the things people have been through in the last couple of months. And I know your lives, and we're going through something that's insane right now in our life. They're to draw us closer to them, not to drive us away or to distract us or to make that our God. And you know, some of you know I went through seven years of cancer teaching, ministering, standing in front of churches, praying for people to be healed, thinking, who am I to pray for someone to get healed? I got seven years of cancer. God gave me grace to do that. So sometimes you'll think, well, now I have to handle this, and as soon as it's over, I'll go back to full surrender. Don't do that. You just want to stay surrendered. He's the, he is the only safe place. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. Everything he does is righteous. He's never been unrighteous. He's never flown off the handle. All of his judgments have always been fair and equitable. He's going to judge the world with equity. So when you read something that's really brutal or really seven months cleaning up bodies and seven years discovering bones and all this stuff after the conclusion of the age and the final battle, it's only allowing us to anticipate the level of wickedness that has to accelerate to warrant that being equitable. So in essence, silently, it's saying, prepare for a world that's not gonna get better. We're not gonna legislate better. We're not gonna do that. We're called to be a light in a dark place. 
O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in the countries to which you have driven them. They didn't just wander. They weren't just pulled out by another nation. And why did you drive them there? Because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets yes all israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your over and over again he's i mean he's repeating himself over not obeyed transgressed broken blown you off in essence and then he goes on here and he talks about the curse therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of moses the servant of god have been poured out on us that's deuteronomy 27 through 31 you could read the curse it's there he says, we're make, many of us sign contracts, and contracts typically have indemnifications and warranties, and, and that's not why you enter a contract. You enter a contract as a performer in that contract because there's an upside. You want to gain something. You want to lay hold of something. You want to get paid. You want to inherit something. But, there's, but the indemnifications are like, don't do this and don't, don't lie in this contract. You warrant something. Don't, don't lie. Don't tell me you're going to do it and not do it. And, and these are contracts. We get the word cutting a deal. Even now, it comes from cutting of a covenant. That's the cut. It's a cutting work. And so he says he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us because they took bribes by bringing upon us a great disaster. Okay, And then it goes on in 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, we read that. 14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind because he's righteous. And his righteousness has a measure of judgment in it that doesn't fit the grid of the Western church. In fact, it doesn't fit the grid of most churches. It's not just the Western church. But we think, oh, righteous just means he's merciful and, he's, and he likes, you know, weights and balances being right and, and your yes is a yes and your, you know, your amen is an amen and your no is a no. He says, no. He says, his righteousness is different than ours, which is why we require a Holy Spirit in filling. Because we have to change the way we think. When Bob Dylan got saved, one of his songs was Change My Way of Thinking. Yeah. And I'm, by the way, I'm hearing good reports about him again in these, yeah, in the later years of his life. Thank you, Jesus. We went and saw him when he first got saved, and he was on fire for God. It was a Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, and it was 1970-something or late, early 80s maybe. I don't know. And he was lit up for, and, hit, and, and those couple of albums, Saved and, so many others, so many slow, train slow train coming, incredible. This man had that same anointing that he's been singing of world issues. He was singing about kingdom. He got it. He so got it. And, he's, and he was singing recently on tour. He was singing Every Grain of Sand. One of the most, yeah. So I thank you, Jesus. So don't give up on people who fall or spin out or get weird over decades. I mean, they lost ground. They lost time. But don't give up on them. The Lord is relentless and his love of people. As it is written to Lord Moses, all disasters come upon you, yet we've not made our prayer before the Lord. That's another problem is that when things go bad, people still want to try to extricate themselves or get someone to lift them out. And God's trying to get you to pray to him. When something goes on in your life, th that should be first. That's before 911. That's before mom, dad, spouse. That should be number one. He should be first in your life. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. The Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we've not obeyed his voice. Crazy, huh? 
He says it over and over again. Now, these are the verses, so we're going to officially read them this morning, but we're not going to dig into them. And this is crazy. There's no correction in his prayer. So, you know, if he had said something that was like amiss or goofy or off, I believe the angel literally would have corrected him. There are times when God corrected people. Elijah, after the calling down fire from heaven, is in a cave crying out, saying, God, I'm alone. I'm the last one left. Take me out of here. All hell's broken loose. And God corrected him. He says, no, there's 7,000. I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So the angel comes, and Daniel's prayer was so accurate. Everything here, you could bet on this prayer in Daniel 9, which is sort of like, almost like a script for us in realizing what's happening right now. In Israel, the Jewish people, they need to get saved. They should read Daniel 9. I was, actually, I was on a, uh, in a chat thing with a Jewish lady who's brilliant, and I said to her, and she, I said, I'll pray. She knows I'm a believer, and she knows I'm Jewish. And she goes, oh, I don't know who you pray to with a little smiley face, you know, a little colon and, you know, sideways smiley face, because she likes me and I like her. But, um, but I, I, she, I don't know who you pray to, but thank you. And I said, we pray to the same God. I said, it's Jesus was, is, and always will be Jewish. And then I cited about five scriptures. I said, you're a, she's a brilliant woman. I said, you're a brilliant woman. I said, these are in the Jewish scriptures. Read them. Tell me what you think. And I gave her Zechariah 12 through 14. I gave her Isaiah 53. I gave her a couple of others. I said, this is the Jewish story. This is, this, the whole book's written by a bunch of Jews. There's not a book in the Bible that wasn't written by a Jew. And it was written to the Jew first. And they carried it out. And they were the first church. And it's been the failure of the Jewish people. And now the church goes and they end up with replacement theology in many places. And, and they're failing. But listen to, what the, listen to what Daniel's writing here. It's funny because he's saying, I'm in the middle of my prayer. I'm deep in the place with God. I'm, and, and I'm pouring my heart out. And he goes, now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Then he goes, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, meaning don't miss the fact that this guy comes in and supernatural being shows up. Gabriel, an archangel, like comes flying into the room. Could chink. He goes, while I was speaking, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in division at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly like he was shot out of an anointed cannon, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. God's saying, I could trust this man with a revelation that takes us through the appearance of the Messiah who will change the whole equation all the way through to the conclusion of the age. I found a man that is trustworthy, and I can, just like him finding Mary, the young virgin girl. For you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Whoa. And then he goes and he tells him this story here. Now, back to now, okay? So we're going to touch on these verses, some of this session, but there's something that's integral to our understanding because there are things that are not yet understood. And the more I study, you know, I've read Pawson, I've read Lake, I've read Dan Bruce, I've read Jameson Fawcett Brown from the 1800s, I've read John Walford, I've read other places, and, and they, you cannot, they cannot coexist. Many cannot coexist. 
you read one, like I said before, you have a blank sheet of paper, you go, oh, that's perfect, like that connection. You got Granicus, and you got this, and you got the half tracks, and the next one says, oh no, all those things happened before the closure of the Old Testament. The next one's going something else, and you think, well, is that the way it works? And I am becoming, and this is not a get out of study free card or play dumb card. You know, gee, I don't know him, but I can pray in tongues. That's not the answer either. But God's calling us to be pressing into his word. And I believe he reveals enough to us that we could serve him the way he's called us to serve him in these days. And I have to rest in that even as a teacher. When, you know, when you're, as a teacher, people come to me, they ask me a question, I don't want to answer. And you, you, always, you want to have an answer. If you're a teacher, you think, hey, well, you came to me. Where am I going to go? So I, you go to someone else and they have an answer and then you find out another teacher has a different answer. I believe there's things that are still sealed up because we're not at the end of the age exactly yet. Because right here in Daniel 9, it's saying, he says, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. He wants him to understand the vision. Then he tells him five more you know, five more verses or four more verses. And then you go to the very end of Daniel and he tells them, Daniel's still asking questions and, and he's basically said, just go on, seal till the end. Just go on and seal till the end. So there's things he wants us to understand and there's things that if we understood them again, we'd be selling a book instead of serving God. And he's calling us with a very vivid, lively, daily, minute by minute walk which involves way more of the supernatural than, than most people want to address in their lives. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to be grounded in the word of God so we stay holy and don't get weird. We've seen prophets get weird. We've seen too many prophets get weird. We, we know people who've had profound anointings of God in the place of prophecy, dreaming where kidnapped victims were located. I mean, crazy stuff, crazy powerful stuff, and, and then gone sideways. So we need, we. There's grace to be successful in your life and, and even to enjoy it, actually. So I've said before, you know, we want an anointed spreadsheet. We're not going to get it. We're just not going to get it. So here's Daniel 12. Just to, We're going to skip over for a minute. Here's the end of the book. This is the conclusion of the book. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So obviously what's written is written. And even parts of it, some of the revelations he had said, I wrote down the, big, the bigger parts of the story. He didn't write them all down. And John on the Isle of Patmos was, said, I saw this, I saw this, I saw this, I saw that. We're overwhelmed by that. Then he's, in the book he says, and I saw these things. I began to write them down and I was told, don't write those down. You think, why would God say that other than the fact that there's things that he wants to reveal? And you think, well, they, will they come? Will they be revealed when we know him, when we see him and know him as we're known? The answer is yes, but there's also times he wants to breathe that on us during the course of our life. Then I, Daniel, sh Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Our knowledge is increased. We have 2,000 years of luxury between the cross and now, and we have the days between the time of the Daniel prophecy and the cross. And we've been able to track some of the pr prophecies. When we get to Daniel 10 and 11, it's basically a checklist to say, this man prophesied and batted a thousand. 
It was never wrong. It was so crazy accurate that one guy, Porphyry, wrote multiple books discounting the book of Daniel. If you type in, just Google, and say, when was the book of Daniel written, you'll find lots of stuff saying, well, it was written during the intertestamental period because all the things he said are so accurate, he never could have prophesied that. Because the world is so used to having dodo birds for prophets who like speak in generalities. Oh, I see a, a beautiful thing opening up. And I'm not knocking that because some of those are God. But some of them are, how vague are they? It's like, really? How many, another year breakthrough? You know, the January breakthrough? You know, and some of them, there are breakthroughs and there is progress. But sometimes you get stuff, it's like, a, you, you know, is there anybody out there with a hangnail? You know, there's 8,000 people in a room. Anybody out there with a hangnail? I have a word for you. So we have to be really careful. There, there might be a, a prayer. For, there might be a word for the hangnail person. I'm just saying, but make sure you're hearing it from God before you come up with a little card trick. Don't do prophetic card tricks. You're accountable for those. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank, another on that river bank, and one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand. So he had both hands up in the air, which is a really good posture if you don't do it, by the way, um, and swore to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Meaning the people on earth in those days, there will be people on earth. The rapture is when we get swept up into the sky to meet him in the air. Thus we will always be with him. Therefore comfort each other with those words. It's selfish for you to think as it hits the fan, you're out of here. It doesn't work that way. You might leave by way of the grave personally, but we're here to be a light in a dark place because God's trying to get people saved. Amen. And the more we know and the more you're filled with the Spirit of God and the more people start realizing that God's working in miracles around you and you have an anointing on your life, you will find people coming to you to get saved. That's why it's exactly why we're here right now. Right, exactly why. And he's saying, so these people are going to be on empty, just like a Grand Prix race. At the end of the race, the cars want to get to, they calculate the amount of gasoline they have or, or jet fuel, whatever they use, so that when they cross the finish line, they're pretty much empty because they don't want to carry the extra weight. They calculate the conclusion. He says here, my people are going to be on empty when, they're, when, they're, when, they're, when, the, when the holy people, when the power of the holy people is depleted, these things shall be finished. Although I heard it, did not understand it. And I said, my Lord, what shall, the end of these, what shall be the end of these things? And he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 13, at the end, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and it will arise to your inheritance. When? At the end of the days, at the resurrection of everybody, at the end of the days of this age. Crazy. So there's things that we will know. And I can see there's things that we won't get to even this morning, <laughs> simply because of time. But now back to this, these verses in, in Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So I just want to plant this in you. For your people and for your holy city. And then he starts numbering. There's actually people, have, you can number them. There's six things here. To finish the transgression. To finish the season of sin on earth. To say it's over to make an end of sins, to bring, make reconciliation for iniquity, 
to bring in everlasting righteousness. It sounds sort of simple in a way. It's sort of thing. oh, yeah, it's going to go to the cross. Jesus is going to pay for the sins of man. Men are going to be able to get saved. They're going to serve him. There's going to be a, you know, trouble for a couple thousand years if they knew that then. He says, but it's, if you st- we're going to look at some of the opinions on these next week. I'm not saying they're funny, but it's interesting what the, how the opinions justify themselves actually historically, and yet we don't know which one is necessarily the most accurate. And to anoint the most holy, even there, when the word most holy here is actually Mashiach, which is Messiah, and, and some, of the, um, some of the people who have interpretations talk about the priest who is also referred to as Mashiach. When um, David didn't kill Saul in the potty cave in the Old Testament, he called Saul Mashiach. So there's a whole lot of interpretations here. But then he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, there was multiple ones. One guy we're going to read says it was a command by Julius Caesar. Someone else said it was someone else, and they pointed dates and times from from the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we're certainly lumping two periods of time together. The word week here actually means sevens, which actually has to do with um, uh, Shabbat is the Hebrew word, which actually has to do with covenant and oath and the cutting of a deal. So it's actually, it says, the 77s. And so some people think it's probably, might not be weeks. 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish to make us and we did that. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command we did that. And after 62 sevens, after 62 sevens, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So it's clearly not uh, smooth sailing at this point. It's still going to be troublesome times. There shall be seven and 62. After the 62, there's still, so now we set aside the seven for a minute. He says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. It's not, but not, not for the, the purpose of his being cut off, being murdered, if you will, although there's the word cut off is yet another one that there's opinions on, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, like halfway through that final seven, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation is de- which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And you say, what? Mm-hmm. And what he's saying here, in essence, we're going to go through it, we will go through it, has to do with the, se- the, 70, the 69 sevens are coupled together with an event in them that se- distinguishes 62 from from the seven, that's the 69. And then there's this mystery of when that seven, seven occurs. And a lot of people believe, and I don't know that I disagree, that that has to do with the time of the Gentiles. And things are now ticking again because we're getting close to the conclusion of that time of the Gentiles. And so the clock, and a lot of people look at it and they say, this is Antichrist, these are the seven years of tribulation, and there's a halfway point in the tribulation that's three and a half of the you know, days, if you will, if you were going to correlate them to weeks. So we're going to look at it. We're not going to come up with a firm conclusion. If you need a firm conclusion, you could pick one of the several that we have, put them on a dartboard and throw a dart and pray about it and see. But uh, So I'm not, again, I'm not letting you nor me off the hook. 
but I'm simply saying this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with in the sense of not knowing because God wants you praying every single day. More important is your daily relationship than you're having a calendar mm -hmm. for the work of God. In, in essence, it almost becomes an arrogance and a self-assurance that now I know. I remember, I, know, I have very, very, very wealthy Jewish man basically said to me, so what's next? It was actually, it was after 9-11, um, and he'd called me. And I said, well, it's, it's going to be tough years. I said, as we get, you know, Jewish man, I said, it's going to be tough years. He says, so when do you think it's going to happen? He says, so I, ha and then I t said, I don't know this, I don't know that, I don't know this. I said, but I know the gist of the story and all. He says, so do I have time? And I'm thinking, what are you looking for, time to still cheat and rob and lie and be an adulterer and, and then get to God in the nick of time? That's not a good plan or take it easy, you want to be building yourself, praying in the Holy Spirit. We probably should end here. So, yeah, we're going to end right here. And I'll, that's where we'll start next week. Gosh, I really wanted to get into the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to do it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What? Maybe. Lord willing. Lord willing, I'll be around next week. Okay. Lord, bless your holy name. Bless you, God. Thank you that we are here in these days. Thank you for the, really, for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you said don't even leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And, and, and then fire came down. And then shadow healings happened. And then there were miracles. And there were supernatural events. And God, and you, that was supposed to be the launch of 2,000 years of people surrendered and holy and in power. And God, like Daniel, we own that failure. We do, God. But you saved us supernaturally. And you laid hold of us for these purposes in these days so that we could know to press in, so we could understand, God, that, that like Paul said, in the evil day, having done all to stand, that you've given us the grace that, that we could lay hold of your purposes and have your mind and your spirit in us so that we can know the will of God, that we don't even know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit can pray for us, through us with groanings that can't be uttered. So God, I pray for everyone who would hear this, God, whether they're online right now or in this room or, or hearing this podcast later, God, that they would open up to be filled, filled, filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit in these days and we not hold back with some excuse as to why we were offended or taught differently, Lord. If it's in the book, it's for us. God, this whole scroll uh, instruction that you gave your prophets is on us in these days that we would be the anointed troublemakers. God, we would be the light shining in the dark place. We would be safe, God, because you're safe. And you, God, hold the keys to life and death. That our days are yours, our kids are yours. God, our, our business, our puppies, our everything are yours, God. That there's, God, you know where my keys are, Lord, and you know when you're returning in flaming fire. And we bless you, God. We bless you and we ask you to pour your spirit out. You told us, God, you, you told us to ask for rain in the time of latter rain. These are the days we are asking for an outpouring upon our lives personally, God. Whatever that looks like in the way of interruption or forgiveness or repentance or shifting priorities, God, we want to do your will in these days now more than ever. Pour your spirit out. Give us a knowledge of your will so we can walk pleasing and honorable to God and joyous, Lord. Your joy is our strength, God. So we bless you. If, again, if anything I said was uh, the gospel according to me, you delete it. God, if it's according to the scriptures, if it's
been uh, validated or affirmed by your presence this morning, God, that you would cement that into us today, God, that we would be transformed by, by your word, God, your glorious and eternal word. We bless you, Lord, as we unmute our mics, God, in, in one accord, God, that we could say we agree with you, Lord, by, by saying amen. 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 So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?